and welcome to the Weekly Skeptic episode 18. I'm Nick Dixon, joined by Toby Young for our first episode of the year. Coming up, Top G goes up against the other Top G, Greta Thunberg, and also the Romanian police. Peter Hitchens goes up against the mighty Sargon, and we'll give you our New Year's resolutions. Plus, of course, our top stories of the week with Will and Peak Woke. But first, Toby, do you want to kick off with your New Year's resolutions? I hear you've got loads. Yeah, no, I, I always um, have the same New Year's resolutions, which suggests I need to rethink it. But um, they are drink less, uh, read more books, and lose weight. And uh, my plan as far as drinking less is concerned. So um, I'm doing dry January. And last year, my wife set herself the task of um, drinking on average only three days a week and abstaining for four days a week. And she has this app in which she enters her sobriety days. So I've now got the app and I'm going to count dry January. And my, I think I think trying to re- limit myself to three days a week is too ambitious. So I'm going to try and limit myself to four days a week on average across the year. Um, uh, so that's my that's my that's my that's my big New Year's resolution. The other one is to lose a stone in weight. You know you're struggling with drinking when you have to go into the averages. Like <laughs> you know, like a month's unrealistic, guys. I'm looking at a kind of average system. You've got like you've got graphs and spreadsheets to try and make yourself drink less. To me that's not a problem. I quit drinking for many, many years easily. I started again, I quit again for about six years. To me that's you know, th- these people who have no discipline, Toby, I can't really relate. I've had to make myself start drinking because you need it in sort of polite society. So I've had to make an, I'm trying to up my average. You see, I think, well, (laughs) good luck with that. Um, But uh, I think that if if you're just going to reduce your overall intake and not stop completely, that's harder. That takes more willpower. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. Um, Mine is to um, up my average and develop more manly Bond-like cocktails I can drink, just really strong, small cocktails. So I've got a book on it about all the cocktails in the Bond films and little quotes and in the books and when, you know, which, which ones he drank when. And this all started when sort of you and Thor were shaming me for my drinking habits. So I've got that. My main resolution, though, is to, um, is to, is to uh, get loads of hoes like Tate and to become less misogynistic. <laughs> that's, my, that's my resolution. Um, so yeah, like, I've been... Like a, B, a B-Tech Andrew Tate. Like a B-Tech Andrew Tate. Um <laughs> No, I'm gonna. Yeah, I'm gonna be. Um, I'm not. I'm only joking, guys. Of course, everyone knows I'm not really misogynistic. It's a little joke. Well, I don't know what my real resolution is. I think lose weight is a good one. I'm definitely. I'm trying to get down to twelve and a half stone. So I have a, a few more. I have a, roughly about a stone to go as well, just under. So I'm like you, Toby. We're both going to do that. I don't know how we're going to do it. Are we going to like sort of message each other and check <laughs> our calories or call each other fat or something? I've got. I've got. I've got. I've got, I've got my special um, intelligent uh, scale which sends like uh, data to my phone so I can monitor my weight loss or weight gain on my phone each day if I weigh myself each day. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to weigh myself once a week. But hopefully the the not drinking in January should help a little bit. I do every day and I put it into my fitness pal. Sorry, uh, listeners, I've just realized that you're probably thinking this is not really what we <laughs> what we <laughs> listen for. Toby said let's do the resolutions first. I thought put them at the end. You know, you hook the listener in with something <laughs> exciting first. But yeah, I'll be, I mean, I'll be weighing myself ridiculously. The hard part is to, everyone, anyone can lose weight. The hard part is to retain muscle. So I'm doing these, you know, my weights, my, my lifting, my strength training at the same time. And I'm doing a new system that's incredibly punishing where you sort of go really slow. You're like five seconds up and down. It's like brutal. Then you feel ill for the rest of the day. Um, so <laughs> Sounds yeah. great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, all right. <laughs> I think those are the resolutions covered. Uh, I'm, I'm also going to do boxing in case, because uh, I have so many haters now. 
I just need to be ready to sort of take them out at a moment. So you're notice. not going to challenge them to like a you know a fight kind of side men style. Maybe we could do that. We could kind of like get Getter to sponsor it. We could have a pay per view event. It could be you know you versus Owen Jones or um, Manfred. you versus yeah Manfred. Yeah, Jason Manfred. I thought about challenging him and Richard Herring to celebrity boxing matches. I just thought, yeah, I need to get good at boxing first. I think I'll spend this next year getting Stuart good at Lee. boxing. What about Stuart Lee? That'd yeah, great. I'll take out. I'll take out Stuart Lee. <laughs> Any of them. They're all going down. Um, 2023, it's on. All right, let's do, um, well, you wanted to call this section the top G spot, which is about, <laughs> it's about, it's, a, it's our regular section where we talk about Andrew Tate. So I've been one of these people that defended Andrew Tate, and now I've got myself in a right old pickle because he, he's been, he's been <laughs> raided he's, by the... He's a human trafficker with Well, sex that's life. what they're saying. They're saying it. And he, innocent until proved human trafficker is what I always say, Toby. I mean, there's all this pressure on me now to condemn Tate. Everyone's tweeting me, how dare you just defend Tate? And what I'm defending is the principle of innocent until proven guilty. It's a thing we used to have in the West. And in, what we have now instead is everyone I don't, don't like must be destroyed in some sort of mob trial. And as soon as the, you know, the press says something, Twitter backs it up, and everyone's just loving it, aren't they? The, the left want to condemn Andrew Tate because they don't like him anyway. The conservatives keep tweeting me to condemn Andrew Tate because he doesn't live up to their moral standards because of his whole webcam studio thing. So everyone wants to condemn him, and I'm, I'm here saying, let's wait and see. And, of course, the pizza box story was a complete hoax that he got caught out because he had a pizza box in his video, and that's how they got it because he was trying to discredit it. It was a ridiculous narrative, and all these people just jumped on it straight away. These kind of people that believe everything. Well, and Greta took credit for his arrest as well, didn't she? She said, you know, you should think twice about showing all these discarded pizza boxes um, to to troll me with those pictures and bragging about not recycling them because that's how you were caught. Yeah, Greta's Um, dad logged on and absolutely slammed him. Yeah, everyone (laughs) thinks it's Greta's dad. Yeah, it's absolutely ridiculous. But Toby, I just want to put it to you that oh and by the way there was there was also the conspiracy theory which someone tried to claim i was raising seriously on gb news when i raised it as a joke which is there's a whole conspiracy thread on on tate and the pizza box and so on and it says that actually and this is true the organization that that sort of looked into him or whatever their their acronym is greta because it's something to do with human trafficking and it's some elaborate acronym and that is greta so they were saying tate staged all this like look even the people that got him are called greta come on can't you sit wake up sheeple and the idea was that Tate had staged the whole thing. How would he gain from it? This is the sort of question I ask James Dellingpole when he comes up with a conspiracy theory. Well, what would be his motivation? What does he stand to gain from staging this elaborate hoax? And at which point Dellingpole gets very cross and says, I'm being very literal minded and it's not about motivation. Uh, but to me, that that's quite a big gap in the theory. I mean, in this particular theory, what is it that Tate is trying to gain? Well, Tate thrives off attention, doesn't he? He says we're in an attention economy and he's the ultimate attention grabber. And so the, I think the idea is it's simply that. So I've actually got the thread. It's from Doc Anarchy. He says, Andrew Tate is orchestrating the ultimate psyop. The arrest of Top G and his brother is too suspicious. Something smells funny. I've figured it out. Let's pull it all together. Disclaimer, this is wild speculation and may be completely wrong. First of all, Tate is a master self-marketer. And this goes on about how he's, you know, he builds controversy, blah, blah. He's been saying he'd be arrested for some time now. That is, that's a key point we need to get into. He's been under investigation, but he knew they were watching him. And then he goes on and on about the Thunberg, Greta Thunberg tweet. He responds with the video. Have you ever seen Tate eating cheap pizza? Why did he suddenly order the pizza? You know, then they get him from the, the narrative is they get him from the pizza box. And he goes, oh, and the agency responsible for taking him down is called Greta, group of experts on action against trafficking in human beings. And that's a real thing. I checked that. So 
He's just putting it all together and saying, oh, they didn't handcuff him. He's like, when do they not handcuff accused sex traffickers who also happen to be world-class kickboxers? So he's like, they didn't even handcuff him. Of course, you could equally say he's in with the Romanian authorities and tends to bribe people and stuff. And, you know, has talked about how in Romania you can just give a cop some money to get out of a speeding ticket. So they know it might be another reason they didn't handcuff him. But he goes and he goes into all of this and says it's easy to buy off politicians in Romania. So why didn't he just do that? Tate orchestrated this entire thing. He knew Greta was looking for him, the organization. He knows he's got a politician or two in his pocket. He knows he's going to walk. He'll spin this as another attack on him for the message he spreads. Tate will be out by the end of the weekend. So I don't know if that proved true, that last part, but this was the conspiracy. It, uh, I mean, the, the, well, the claim is that he's gaining because he's an attention whore and this is attracting a lot of attention. I suppose it would be the argument that you don't read your publicity, you weigh it. There's no such thing as bad publicity. But to my mind, this is bad publicity. I mean, I, I can't see how he's going to benefit from this financially anyway. Um, uh, let's just be clear about what the allegations are. I mean, the initial allegation when I heard it was that, you know, he was engaged in human trafficking he you know enslaved various women for sexual purposes and all that struck me as a little bit far-fetched and trumped up but the allegation has sort of been scaled back a bit and the allegation now is that he has been running um chat rooms from his compound in romania and the young women um uh, in the chat rooms are not there entirely voluntarily um they're being coerced into doing it they're being exploited um and it's not clear whether is is the allegation that he's actually imprisoned them he's taken their passports he's using his girlfriend and another woman as kind of um you know guards and bullies uh, or is the allegation that they're not you know they're free to go but he's only giving them a fraction of what he's earning you know on the back of their labor i mean you can imagine some of those allegations being true they're not so implausible i mean it's a little bit implausible that they'd be actually imp- I mean, the one allegation, isn't it, that they're actually imprisoned and the only reason he got raided is because one of them managed to regain her mobile phone and rang her boyfriend in America and he rang the US Embassy in Bucharest and they alerted Greta, um, yeah. who duly raided the compound. Um, well, that's the but, R. Kelly uh, It's all a bit murky, isn't it? That's the R. Kelly. That's the one where I always say, if he is doing an R. Kelly-esque thing, like keeping these women against their will, then of course he has to be punished or if he is trafficking i don't personally believe he is and i'm waiting to see but if he is you know people saying oh you're defending tate obviously if he is r kelly he should be punished i mean let's be very clear on that yeah but it's it i'm a bit skeptical i mean one thing is toby as well you know you don't just turn on people immediately everyone's there's a a pressure to condemn tate now on twitter that's all sort of part of it. it's like you have to be seen to condemn him but i'm not the kind of person that just backs down i mean if you suddenly got arrested toby for for sex trafficking I'd be like, firstly, I knew Toby had a great work ethic. So it's not surprising. You know, secondly, what's he doing in Romania? I'd have questions. But but if you were suddenly arrested for sex, I wouldn't. The great thing about me is I wouldn't just condemn you. I'd say, well, I don't believe Toby did that. It doesn't seem like the Toby I know. You know what I mean? And so you, sh- you shouldn't just fold immediately because there's pressure on you. So I won't right. condemn Tate. Right, because but, it's innocent but, until proven guilty. Go on. That's true. Uh, and I, I too believe in the principle of innocent until proven guilty. But I suppose, you know, he has sort of created this persona of himself as a kind of cartoon villain, you know, and what he did to try and kind of antagonize Greta seemed to be in keeping with that cartoonishly villainous persona. And, you know, there was the footage of him 
um, what assaulting a woman with a belt in the Big Brother house. Um, he's made various dubious comments about women who've been raped being in part complicit. Um, you know, so in his case, it's probably easier to believe that he is running, you know, a series of chat rooms in which the women aren't participating on an equal footing or in an entirely voluntary way. It's a, it's a bit, bit, bit more credible than if someone made that accusation against me, I hope. Well, a couple of things. Now, that belt thing isn't great. He said it was consensual and the girl came out and said that as well. It obviously looks terrible if it's not. Again, it would take, you know, it's sort of like we're having like two takes. It's a kind of like Scott Adams' two movies theory with, with Donald Trump. We end up with these two takes. Either he's a sort of controversial but lovable online personality or he's a sort of abusive, violent sex trafficker. And they're not similar, but they're sort of weirdly close, like you say. I mean, but my thing is, I don't think that was in the Big Brother house, by the way. I think it was somewhere else. But would he, would he really say and do all this? You know, he, would he openly brag about webcam studios and how you can make one and how it's great if he was doing all this criminal stuff? You know, you could say it's a sort of double bluff. And my second question is, what do you think about this thing? He sort of presage, I don't know how you say that, the attack. He's been sort of planting this idea for a while. There will be a matrix attack. Now, the two obvious uh, ways of looking at it are one, that's because he knew he was doing loads of dodgy stuff and wanted to plant the idea that it was fake in advance. Or two, he really is being persecuted by the matrix, the system who don't like people like him becoming too influential, who don't go with the narrative. And they are just, you know, just messing with him as they have done with so many people like Trump, like Musk, like Roger Stone or whoever. You know, there's many people not treated well by the authorities who are sort of controversial political figures. Tommy Robinson treated very badly. I, I said the same, Julian Assange was treated very badly. My concern, so first question is, what do you think he was doing by talking about how there will be a matrix attack after they failed to cancel him? Because they failed to cancel him, and that was quite powerful, that they got rid of his social media, and then all the podcasts, these massive podcasts, and Piers Morgan, all these people just said, tell you what, we're going to put him on anyway because he's just great box office. He does numbers. We like him. And the cancellation failed, and he even got back on Twitter. So he actually was the first, as he said, person to be truly uncancelled. I said it in my Substack article. That was very powerful. Then he said, well, the next attack will be a kind of lawfare. They'll accuse me of something I haven't done. You watch. Now, of course, that's a perfect thing to say if you have done something dodgy. Which do you think it is out of those? Well, I'm not sure. I mean, I think you have to take his own explanation of of what's going on uh, with a pinch of salt. I mean, as I recall, when he was ejected from the Big Brother house, the explanation he gave was that um, the producers have said, look, Andrew, you're not very popular in here. Um, some of the other male contestants may attack you. And we just want your word that if you are attacked, um, even en masse um, by the other male contestants, you do not retaliate. You wait until security are able to intervene. And we promise it won't be more than a few minutes. And he was like, and of course, I was not going to agree to that. I'm not some pussy who's just going to let myself be slapped around by a bunch of albedo males. And it was like, well, yeah, that could be the reason. That's probably not the reason. It's probably more likely that you assaulted one of the female contestants. And that's why you've been thrown out of the house. And they very nicely not actually said that to protect your reputation. God knows why. Um, I don't think it was the insult against I think it's that some people said it's that they saw that other video and they became aware of some stuff. Not okay, the so actual well, It wasn't, it wasn't something that actually happened in the house. Okay. No, no. Okay. But um, yeah, like you say, his claim was that he was too dangerous. Yeah, it's too dangerous to be left alone with these beta males in the Big Brother house because if they came at him, he was going to beat them to a pulp. Uh, I don't know. His, his kind of macho posturing um, sometimes seems 
um, <laughs> slightly comical, um, as though he's a sort of self-parody of a parody of an alpha male rather than an alpha male. And this was um, a point made in Louise Perry's article in Unheard, in which she said that Tate could be um, the first male-to-male transsexual, which I thought was quite a good phrase. I mean probably doesn't withstand much scrutiny but i think what she meant was that he's kind of he's gone from being an ordinary male to become becoming a kind of hyper male and in the same way that you know if if gender's a social construct and it's something you perform um and it's not kind of linked to your biology then what he's doing is he's performing a kind of hyper masculinity uh, and so he's a male to male transsexual but maybe you know maybe he could do something with that concept you know to reinvent hustler's university when it was it, it started out as hustler's university then it became the real the real thing of the what real world what did you world. call it um, matrix uh, college <laughs> Matrix <laughs> College, whatever it is now, but um, he, could, he, could, he could turn into a kind of gender identity clinic for males who wanted to undergo male to male a male to male transition. You know, that is a good idea. Like, actually, uh, yeah, he already had the PhD, the pimpin hose degree, so it's yeah, not it's a it short like, step. Yeah, a, not a non woke and anti woke gender clinic for men who want to become even bigger men had to go from you know he would like seats and that isn't that really the essence of hustlers university you go from being an alpha a beta to an alpha male um well that's 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 what the course teaches you and that really no. is that's a form of male to male sexual transitioning isn't it let me answer all that with some fact checking uh one <laughs> yeah it, it, it may it, of course it's an act to an extent and when i met him he was very nice and i've still got his photo up as the last pic on my instagram which is it's not aged that well but i'm not taking it down yet <laughs> because it is innocent until proven guilty and um, yeah, so of course it's a bit of a um, bit of a p- uh, persona, obviously. And if you watch him in old videos when he's before fights and stuff, he's very nervous. You know, he's norm- he's worried about the fight and so on. It seems very normal. Um, on your other points, no, Hustlers University actually, and this is really the critique, critique of it. It's just a series of, and now real world AI presumably is the same. It's a it's a series of online ways of making money. Things like drop shipping, copywriting you know, crypto. So it's not to do with, he does have other courses uh, in okay. the past uh, of the kind you say more like how to be more, you know, better body language and so on. Or iron mind is one is about mindset. This one, that one is actually just about side hustles for making Sounds money. Like you've done them all. The, the, I've, I've looked at them all. They're all, they're all people release them for free on YouTube and stuff. Um, don't worry. I didn't buy them, but um, although I'm sure they're quality, but um, just to, cause you brought up the, the Louise Perry unheard piece. Louise Perry is an interesting writer. And, and and she has some interesting points and, and stuff like that. But I didn't really think this piece was good. It was quite funny, the idea of the male-to-male transition, like you say. She said some strange things. She said um, that he's anti-Christian, which makes him even more counter-cultural. And both those points are wrong. One, he's not anti-Christian. He said, like, in Romania, he's sort of a Christian. And elsewhere, he, he's Muslim. He said he sort of respects Christianity in Romania because it actually is upheld. And 99% of the country is Christian. What he doesn't like is how weak Christianity has become. That's not really the same thing as being anti-Christian. Then you'd say, I'm anti-Christian, which wouldn't make sense. And it's not more countercultural to be anti-Christian. It's actually less, uh, I think. You know, And by siding with Islam, he's done a quite a shrewd thing. I'm pre- prepared to say it's genuine, but on top of that, it's also quite shrewd because he gets a whole new army of sort of followers and protectors, if you like, in, in the Middle East because he goes out to Dubai. The Taliban have said they're worried about him. So you know, he gets a whole other crew. He likes to have a network. So I don't think it's more countercultural to be anti-Christian. That didn't make any sense to me. You know, you could say, you know, it's the safer thing in a way in our with the with the culture we have now to be pro-Muslim. You know, except in the sense of the Qatar sense, you could argue it both ways. But I, I didn't agree with that. It said, she said that he has no duties or displays no duties to family and community. 
I find that wrong as well because she doesn't really know anything about his family. He does have children. He, does, he I think I know the number, but I'm not going to reveal it because he doesn't like it revealed. But it was revealed by someone by mistake. So I sort of not, think I know not, it. Not more than Boris, surely. Probably not more, more than Boris. But she doesn't really know that he doesn't support his family and community. And she says that he's unmarried, which also is not confirmed. He doesn't say whether he is or not. So there's a lot of mistakes in it. Uh, the one part she's right, she says there'll be a lot more Tates, which I agree with, but not for the reasons that Perry said, which is as long as gender narcissism of every political flavor prevails. So she's saying as long as this gender narcissism we're all obsessed with carries on, really what she should say is as long as the attack on men prevails, as long as it's basically mm. criminal to just be a man. The more yes. you push boys and men into a corner, the more Tates will emerge. And I said it last night on, without even reading this piece on GB News, we'll have a Tate 2.0 of course, that will happen. But it's not for the reason she, she says of gender narcissism of every political flavor. That's a very woolly way of saying it. It's because of the attack on men, surely. Yes, I agree. I think um, uh, the reason Tate has emerged as the kind of cultural icon that he is, um, is because there's a kind of yearning by so many young men for masculine role models. And, um, you know, that's, that's, there's such a vacuum there that someone like Tate can come along and fill it um, because it's now so toxic to be aggressively alpha. Um, uh, you know, it, 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 that, 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 that it's only people like Tate that, uh, uh, that are out there to kind of try and fill that need. I mean, you have Jordan Peterson as well, and he's obviously much more constructive, positive, with a really positive message for kind of troubled young men. But And, and I think that also explains the extraordinary popularity of Jordan Peterson. But I think what we need is not Andrew Tate 2.0, but, you know, Jordan Peterson 2.0, someone maybe a little bit younger than Jordan, um, uh, with some of the same uh, philosophy um, uh, in a way that kind of, you know, troubled young men can relate to and which doesn't demonize masculinity but presents it in a kind of much more positive light um that's what i'm hoping will emerge from this and that's clearly you know the need he's addressing and that need as you say has been created by the demonization of masculinity and it's become taboo to be a kind of conventional alpha male in today's culture yeah, I think those people do exist, but they're people like Michael Knowles, who's so sort of moderate and, and well-spoken. He does well, but they don't attract quite the same hysterical following or, you know, zealous following because they're just more moderate maybe, characters. Maybe it's time to step up, Nick. It might be time. It might be time for me, you know, you know, <laughs> the Sigma males to step up. Yeah, it, it, it might be time. But yeah, and I don't think it, we even, it's even just about someone being aggressively alpha. Or whatever. It's, just, it's just basically illegal to be a man full stop. So so yeah, and Tate is, is a more extreme expression of it. But yeah, like you say, there'll be many more. Um, what do you think of this point about my sympathy tends to lie with the individual in these matters versus the state overreach or the overreach of the various authorities and mob rule on Twitter? So that when I sort of seem to be defending Andrew Tate, really I'm defending the principle, you know, I'm worried about how Julian Assange was treated, who's got completely different politics. I was worried about how Tommy Robinson was treated. I know you're not allowed to say him and he's the bad man and everything, as my friend Callum calls him, but he was treated badly in in prison and so on and put in solitary confinement for too long. We've got Alex Jones, a a range of figures. You know, Assange is a completely different end of the political spectrum to some of these people, but I'm concerned about all of them because I tend to side instinctively with the individual who's always far weaker than the state or than whatever authority we're discussing and it doesn't mean they're necessarily right if they are someone who should be punished. But then you then you suddenly find that a Savile or an Epstein doesn't get punished. 
But if they should be punished, if, if they generally did these things, of course they should be. But my sympathy tends to lie more with the individual. What do you, what do you say to that? Yeah, I don't know. I don't have um, I don't have quite the same um, sort of uh, championing of the underdog individual against society feeling about those characters as you do. I mean, I think, I guess um, I'm disappointed that when someone does come along who seems to stand up for traditional masculine values and is uninhibitedly macho and alpha and, you know, quite kind of funny and anti-woke with it, um, they then kind of discredit that whole cause by doing something appalling and uh, that seems sex trafficking or saying something appalling um so you know i mean jeremy clarkson's recent kind of uh uh, remarks about Megan. I mean, I didn't find them particularly offensive, but he certainly, I think, has made it more difficult for you know um, uh, a, a traditional alpha male to kind of forge a career in kind of popular culture now. Uh, just as Andrew Tate has probably made our lives a bit more difficult too. You know, it, it's kind of given a bad name to masculinity and confirmed the kind of feminist critique of traditional men. And it's like, yes, look, you see macho men are toxic here's here's exhibit a and here's exhibit b and here's exhibit c can't 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 there be a kind of completely non-toxic version of an alpha male who could be a positive role model and will you know help push back against this kind of tide of kind of feminist demonization of men do you know what i think it is me the more you say it um (laughs) you're right on one point you reminded me in in something you said there this other thing i was going to raise lucy powell mp who said, the impact of Andrew Tate serves as yet another reminder of why we need to act to regulate social media and online and their business models. That's why we will act in government after the government has gutted the online safety bill. And then she links to her observer piece. So it's a very poorly written tweet, but I I love this phrase, the impact of Andrew Tate. To me, she reminded me of one of those William Burroughs cut-up experiments, just throwing words together. She doesn't really know. I said, does she even know what an Andrew Tate is? But, But for some reason, it means more censorship. She's just, you know, just stick in a popular thing that's happening. Andrew Tate yeah. equals more censorship. What was that? And, and, and I thought this would be close to your heart because it's the online safety bill. Yes. And I think it, it does. Um, I think and, Andrew Tate is probably going to make the lives of those of us who are pushing back against online censorship, you know, that much more difficult. Um, people will be able to point to him and say, this is what we mean by legal but harmful content which is damaging to adults and causing harm to women and girls um you know i mean i i never really buy those arguments and it'd be interesting if you tried to you know ask her to say well what exactly do you mean by the impact of andrew tate can you point to any particular instances of uh, of people being harmed by you know by by tate or by tate's influence um but uh yeah i think it's um you know it's uh, they're almost like you know these people have been conjured up by kind of woke censors to justify their censorship you know they seem to be confirmation of their worst fears caricatures of the demons conjured up by the woke censors who they want to protect us from um it's like you know do you have to be that bad <laughs> it's like if he does turn out to be a, a human trafficker i mean i think uh, you know it'll, it'll make the, the battle to stop the online safety bill being used to kind of uh, censor legal but harmful content that much more difficult yeah but i also think he won't but then again if they want him to seem like one he will be because that's how the matrix attacks just on this kind of thing just lastly on tate because it's been a bumper tate edition what do, do you want to read out this thing you got from about fifa or or shall I read it? 
Yeah, no, that was um, so someone reached out to me um, uh, uh, at the Free Speech Union to say uh, they'd just been banned by EA Sports. Um, so they couldn't play FIFA online uh, with their mates for the next seven days uh, in their custom pro club team because he'd named one of the team members Andrew Tate. <laughs> so there were no complaints from EA Sports when he named his players Rishi Sunak, Vladimir Putin, Tyson Fury, Emil Heskey, etc. But calling Heskey. one of them Andrew Tate was a step too far and he's been given a week-long ban. It's extraordinary, isn't it, that Vladimir Putin... Um, I mean, I think you don't need to you don't need to look very hard to see people whom Vladimir Putin has actually harmed. You know, it's fine to name your football player after Vladimir Putin. That doesn't get you a week's ban. But call one of them Andrew Tate and you're immediately persona non grata. Yeah, I mean, I'm amazed Heskey didn't get a ban just for being a bit rubbish. But yeah, I, well, I wondered if he could because you can make the characters look like them as well. I reckon you could probably get the sort of beard and skin tone. I was thinking, could you get little sunglasses and a cigar for the Tate character? Probably FIFA can't do that yet, but I'd love to see that. I think that's amazing. That's like when you, you weren't even allowed to sort of type Alex Jones or say it. You know, you, you get these people now, they fully unperson them. That must be the ultimate unpersoning. You're not allowed to have a character named that in FIFA. I mean, that's absolutely mental, um, but quite amusing. All right, so that's the uh, G-spot section dealt with. Do you want to read the first of our many adverts, Toby? Yes, I say I many, but not because not it's boring for the listener, but to boast about how many people want to advertise on this brilliant, growing podcast. Yes. So we we've only have, got two, though. We've got two, yeah. <laughs> uh, so I'll do the first one. You'll do the second in a bit. So if, like us, you've heard enough of Thor's dad jokes in 2022, rest assured, he's promised to begin 2023 more sensibly. So he sent in some short bits of feedback from a couple of his clients. The first feedback note is for four from a company owner that employs him as a non-executive director to help the company aggressively scale up and exit its Yorkshire-based business. And the owner of that business says, Thor, you're underselling yourself. You do what you say on the tin, but better. You've absolutely turbocharged me, properly stoked my fire. The second note is from the owner of a multi-award winning Scottish IT firm. And she says, Thor is like Marmite. Love it or hate it. He's honest, authentic, funny, clever and super talented. We've laughed and cried and he's just amazing at what he does. If I need help with strategic presentations, I never go anywhere else. I feel fortunate to always have him in my corner. I hate Marmite, but bloody love this man. And you can read 80 more similarly effusive client recommendations and connect with Thor today at linkedin.com forward slash in forward slash Thor Holt, all one word. That's linkedin.com forward slash in forward slash Thor Holt. Now, do you believe these endorsements? I'm sure they're true, but they sound a bit like he might have um, given them a bit of topspin or tweaked them slightly, you know. <laughs> Uh, Shouldn't un- really cast doubt. Un- unorthodox <laughs> move to cast doubt on the testimonials of our, of our sponsors. And, Sorry but, about but, that, Thor. We'll cut back. Your second edit. point. Your second point proves actually that it, they are real because those reviews I read out are completely okay. real. Okay. And by the way, just for the listener, I'm gonna. I've agreed to meet Thor to at very least test the product for the listener. I'm gonna test the product and at, at, at least and at most fix my many personal problems. So, you know, if I meet Thor, I'll be able to tell you firsthand, you know, what he does. And I'll be able to give my own testimonial. So that'll be great. Great. All right. Well, now let's go to Will for our roundup of the week's top stories. 
So I'm here with Dr. Will Jones, our esteemed editor of The Daily Skeptic, and we've got some good stories as always. Firstly, this is one I've covered on GB News, and it's been going around about the Chinese visitors to the UK, and the headline is testing Chinese visitors to the UK would be foolish. But I'm sort of unclear about, are we actually testing them? It seems like we're testing them, then they don't have to do anything anyway. They don't even have to self-isolate. Do you understand this one, Will? Well, one thing I do understand, Nick, is that this is the first time that a, a rule, a COVID era rule has come back since last February. So this is this is ominous. And uh, many have picked up on on this uh, in the media, the that this is the return of, of COVID restrictions with some MPs, some Tory MPs getting worried that this is a sign uh, that we could easily slip back into all kinds of restrictions if this is the way that the government's going to going to respond to an outbreak in a far-flung part of the world. And with justification, because, uh, you know, this is uh, the, the justification for it from the government was not was non-existent. There was no clear reason for it. They didn't get they, they initially said they were, had no plans to and they weren't intending to. And so inevitably, within within the day, they had uh, they had flipped on that and were saying, oh, actually, yeah, we will. We will introduce it. And basically because of public pressure or certain parts of the public, and from the various scientists who and, and medics who have their ears. So worrying signs from the uh, from the government that was meant to be uh, moving on from the pandemic. Um, and as you say, Nick, doesn't uh, it's not entirely clear what the rule actually is. Um, we've had, it's, it's certainly clear that a, a test, a PCR test is expected of travellers from China to the UK. Uh, but the consequences of that, if it's positive, are not clear. If, assuming that the the airline lets the lets the traveller onto the plane, and then um, it turns out that the government has no intention of uh, requiring anything, anything like isolation or anything from uh, the person arriving, even if they test positive. So it's not entirely clear what the the upshot and the and the consequences of it is um, anyway. So yeah, all all a bit of a fiasco, and and yes, the the ominous return uh, for the first time in uh, ten months of of, of COVID era restrictions. Yeah, and I think we proved these border measures don't really work anyway, and we can never we can never enact them efficiently, even if they did work. And also, I think China has proved that lockdowns don't work. Even Xi has now admitted that the zero COVID approach has completely failed. So yeah, yep, yep. It's um, and he's saying that it was natural. He said for for people to protest, which is you know this is a, this is an incredible thing for the uh, president of uh, of China to say that it's natural for people to protest. Um, I don't think they, they probably felt like that at the time when they were being put in prison and and, and generally cancelled in the way that only China can um, to um, to people who were who were protesting um, against it. So, um, but but the the, the the worrying thing is that it's not as though there even is a new variant that's been identified. It's just people are saying, oh, but there's so many so many cases that they are just worried that there might be a new variant uh, coming. And they say, oh, China wouldn't tell us if there was. But as people have pointed out, yeah, but the neighbouring countries would. And so they, it wouldn't take long for it to turn up there. So it's all, uh, yeah, all very hypothetical and uh, being triggered by something, by very, very little. Yeah, yeah. The new fear of the potential variants. Um, so let's go on to this other one. Chris Whitty. Now, we also covered this on Headliners on GB News. This is Chris Whitty warns thousands of middle-aged people are dying of heart conditions. And what he seemed to be saying when I covered it, at least, was that people didn't come in because of their usual appointments were not available or they were worried about coming in during COVID. What annoyed me was I was thinking, yeah, because people like you spread fear and, and made them think they couldn't come in. But he's now saying that, you know, there's a backlog due to that. Is that correct? 
Yeah, yeah. So Chris Whitty um, acknowledging the, uh, the 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 huge wave of heart deaths that we've been having, and he's saying in particular in um, middle aged men. So um, and uh, and yeah, and but of course not not mentioning anything about the uh, the vaccines with the known uh, side effects of harming the heart. No, no, no. That they can't possibly be doing anything except you know one in a million or whatever they they claim that this is um, uh, that would be doing. But no, no. They're, they're claiming that it's uh, uh, people missing. Uh, missing medication. I believe that the ONS has has published some data showing that the take up of um, of heart uh, medication has uh, statins and things has um, uh, gone down. Um, I haven't I haven't looked into that to, to double check because you can never quite trust what these people say. But um, that's what he said. And and people missing appointments. But as you say, Nick, it's uh, it's it's not that people were just choosing not to go to the, their appointments or choosing not to. They were told not to. Um, so even if we assume that this is all, this is all as Chris Whitty uh, says um, or claims that it's um, to do to uh, uh, not accessing healthcare. Well, of course, this wasn't a choice that people exercised. They were either unable to access the healthcare, or they were had been scared witless by the authorities, by Chris Whitty and um, and those around him, to think that they that it had some kind of duty to stay away, or that they were going to catch some kind of deadly disease uh, if they came in. So, so all kinds of reasons uh, why, and um, and insofar as it's true that it's to do with uh, people missing their healthcare, um, then yes, it is essentially Chris Whitty uh, admitting. Uh, or should be um, admitting responsibility. Yeah, exactly. And that was very frustrating. There was even part of the article I looked at where it said someone from the NHS was saying people's interpretation of the advice meant they didn't come in. Like the interpretation, there were posters saying, "Look into his eyes." You know, the, the guy's dying of, you know, on, on a respirator. It's like the interpretation. And just yes. on the vaccine thing, I was so cautious on GB about saying anything about vaccine harms because of. Stein's Ofcom investigations, I had people tweeting me saying, have GB stopped you from saying anything about vaccines? It's just like, no, Ofcom are just very strict, so I don't want to take a chance. Let's do um, story three, which is, does vaccination weaken our resistance to COVID-19? Yes, this was a big, has been a big uh, talking point in the uh, the sceptic sphere in the last couple of weeks. A new paper came out uh, from a team of researchers uh, that found that the uh, COVID vaccines, uh, the mRNA vaccines, um, that they cause people to produce a particular kind of antibodies. This was all news to all of us. It had to be so many articles appeared trying to explain this detailed scientific study. But basically, antibodies come in different types. And there's one which is called IgG4, which apparently, we've all learned this week, rather than destroying viruses, uh, promotes tolerance of the virus. Uh, now, this sounds very strange, um, but uh, although it does neutralise the virus in a way by... Uh, binding to it and preventing it from entering cells and replicating. So it does have some, it has some kind of immune effect, but, but it doesn't destroy it. Um, it, it just kind of, it just kind of surrounds it and block and blocks it and, um, and therefore causes the body to uh, become tolerant of the virus and the spike protein. Um, and this, this IgG4 um, is, is very useful apparently for, um, for, for the teaching the body to tolerate things that it should tolerate, like pollen, um, and other things that uh, that the body doesn't shouldn't be having a, a big um, immune um, reaction uh, to, but of course uh, viruses are not one of those things. Um, so uh, so this this overexposure via this mRNA vaccine 
um, seems to be uh, causing uh, this this type of antibody um, to go from about five percent to so a huge number, something like fifty percent in, in the blood, and um, and therefore promoting tolerance. And uh, the, the the consequences of this, the clinical consequences for the disease, are actually not clear at the moment. So it's been so exactly what that means for us in practice in terms of disease. Um, is not is not entirely clear. So there's all kinds of ideas floating around from various uh, sceptical scientists and medics um, saying, "Oh, it could be it could be what's ex- explain why people who are more vaccinated are more likely to get uh, get COVID," which we've seen uh, we saw in the um, in a study a couple of weeks ago. You might remember we talked about uh, showing that um, uh, yeah, that people are more likely to get uh, COVID if they have more vaccine doses, or much worse uh, consequences could follow. Uh, we don't know for sure um, yet, but intriguing study and lots of t- uh, talking um, about what um, this t- unexpected really finding um, could mean. All right, well, I've learned a lot there. I thought IgG4 was that thing that attacked Robocop. But let's move on and do this next story. UK doctors call for government investigation of mRNA COVID vaccines due to alarming safety profile. Yeah, this is something we ran this week. Um, a group, um, <clears throat> a new group uh, called uh, Doctors for Patients UK um, has made a video, which you can see on their website and we link to um, on our website and has called. So it's a group of medics um, uh, who have called on the UK government to properly investigate uh, the vaccines because basically, unsurprisingly, like many people, they are very, very worried about what they're seeing uh, with their patients and um and in the in the studies, well worth checking out. And they say in their press release that a number of them are, are being uh, targeted by their employers and by their regulators um, over their uh, stand, stance on and standing up about the vaccines. So yeah, it's, it's a difficult time to be a, a doctor with integrity at the moment. Definitely. Um, okay, let's do this one. Return of the masks. Return of the masks once again top of the world. So this is health chiefs say face covering should be brought back. And this is a kind of ongoing story. We just had another update from Mark Harper. Yeah, so uh, last couple of days, the uh, the return of the masks. Uh, someone should write a song about that, shouldn't they, Nick? Um, and it's um, and this Susan Hopkins, uh, head of the UK HSA, said that uh, people who are ill with anything, um, with sniffles, uh, should wear a mask. We should stay at home, and if they go out, um, they should wear a mask. So um, this is this has been uh, leapt on, as you can imagine, uh, from people saying it's the return of COVID era guidance. Uh, stay at home, wear a mask. It is specifically people who are ill. They're saying it about. Um, so it's not it's not quite as as bad as it first sounds. Although it's bad enough because you know sniffles are ubiquitous, aren't they, at this time of year? So you know if we all had to mark ourselves out as feeling under the weather by putting a mask on it's hardly it's hardly going to be good it could be good and so many things would get cancelled if we all had to stay at home and do nothing when every time we had a um got a runny nose uh so uh, so not uh, so not great also it it wasn't clear what the how the government felt about this so the UKHSC is a government agency of course but the actual um the the, the gov- elected government itself um mark harper uh, came out and said that this was sensible advice, and so that that gave it the backing of the government. But then number ten clarified that it was not government guidance uh, to do this, and that it was entirely voluntary for people to decide for themselves 
what they wanted. And the, the person f- wouldn't even confirm that uh, Rishi Sunak would follow the advice. So a little bit, a little bit of a mess. Got the scientists versus the politicians again. But at least, at least this time, um, the a number of the, the the prime minister and the number of politicians seem to to be on the right side of the uh, the debate. I wonder if mask madness will ever end. I think China proves conclusively masks don't work. Uh, but you still get these lone mask wearers, don't you? I remember for a time I almost respected them because anyone can wear a mask when all the sheep are doing it. And I was the only one in the supermarket not doing it. And anyone can wear one then. But then you had these nutters still wearing them, being the only one. I had a weird sort of respect for that. Now I started to hate them because they've taken it too far. I saw a guy the other day outside, young man outside, walking around, full like N95. I've just started staring at them with sort of contempt. I think that's important. This summer, I saw a child sitting by themselves on a swing outside in a mask. Just yeah, my favorite one was a woman sat on a sort of log in the woods, in just in the middle of nowhere, with a mask on her own in the middle of the woods in summer. Yes, they're all completely insane, but there we go. The the Japanese emperor and empress appeared on New Year's Day uh, to greet uh, crowds in Japan, and they were they were wearing a mask. Bonkers, but people love it. What what are they like? Do you want to briefly do the Daily Skeptics alternative New Year honours list? I was going to do this with Toby, but he's uh, so modest, he's our great leader, Toby, that he just doesn't want to do anything that could be seen as self-aggrandizing. The complete opposite of me. That's my favourite thing to do. I had a quick look at this list, and I was humbled and blessed and surprised to have gotten, if that's, that's the American phraseology, a single vote, which was nice. Although somehow you got three. Well, I don't know what, what kind of bullshit that is, but... but um, <laughs> But anyway, anyway, do you want to give some of the top people? Yeah. So, um, well, the, the thing that was missed from the uh, from the list on the website was because Toby was writing it, um, writing it up last week. Um, he he missed out how many nominations he received. Uh, so we can now Nick officially reveal uh, this figure, which is that to- Toby received uh, twenty nominations. So he was almost the top. Yeah, I know that because he, he texted it to me before. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but he but he was pipped to uh, the, the number one spot with uh, Mark Stein uh, got uh, got twenty two so um, uh, so uh, very good uh, very good showing these are these are nominations we just all we did is put out a, a request on the website for readers uh, to nominate people by sending us an email um, and that's what they and that's what they did so I could tell you that Mark and Toby um, at the top and the team at the Daily Skeptic the whole team that includes you Nick yes. um, uh, got 20 so that was that was good Mike Eden uh, Dr Mike Eden former vice president of Pfizer got 12 uh, MP Andrew Bridgen uh, 10 um, and uh, Professor Sinatra Gupta 9 uh, Dr Asim Malhotra uh, these are uh, got eight these are very uh, significant uh, people in skeptical world, skeptical movement, uh, pushing back against lockdowns and and vaccines. And uh, we've got John Campbell, um, uh, the YouTuber, uh, with eight. Professor Carl Hennigan, uh, with seven. Doctor Steve James, with seven. Uh, another Great Barrington co-author, uh, Jay Bhattacharya, with six. And Doctor Claire Craig, uh, co-chair of Heart, uh, with six. So, um, yeah, so it was a great, great thing to do. Really good to be able to honour um, some some really uh, great people who really stuck their necks out uh, to challenge uh, various aspects of the official narrative. Yeah, Bridgen's done well, though, at 10. I mean, he's, he's gone full Dellingpole recently, so that's quite impressive. I mean, yes, well done to Mark Stein. Hope he gets better soon. And I did okay. And you did remarkably well, Will, so hats off to you as well. Oh, 
nice of you to say so, Nick. All right. Well, thanks for that, Will. We'll catch up with you again next week. Thanks, Nick. And let's now move on to our new section, Birdwatch. Newest section. We've done it a few times, haven't we? Because we were, we've always been covering Elon Musk. But this week is a special sort of different Birdwatch because it hasn't been so much Musk stuff this week. But instead, we had what I'm calling Sardine Gate. So Peter Hitchens got into a very long, ongoing debate with Carl Benjamin, a.k.a. Sarganova Cad, a.k.a. Mr. Sardine, as Hitchens took delight in calling him, which to be fair was quite funny. And Carl thought it was funny as well. Um, so a tricky one for me because I'm a huge admirer of Hitchens. We've had some banter on Twitter and obviously I'm just a generally an admirer of him. And of course I know Carl personally and get on well with him. And so tricky one for me to take sides in. But basically Carl started with this reply saying it sounded like Hitchens was going to abandon our country to quote foreigners and communists. And it sort of kicked off from there. And it was the debate Hitchens gets quite a lot about what are you going to do about it? What message of hope do you offer the young? Because the country is is finished, but you're not offering any hope. Whereas Carl was, but basically the two positions could be summed up like this. Hitchens was a pessimist saying the country is completely finished. And Benjamin, the blind optimist saying, yes, it's completely finished, but let's try anyway. And Hitchens accused him of like the boat's been torpedoed. Someone saying, let's jump onto a smaller raft and and Benjamin's there waving his cutlass defiantly. So he was making Carl sound like a kind of deluded nutcase and and also, you know, at times suggesting he's some sort of rabble-rousing, dangerous right-wing figure. And Carl was making, was you know, asking Hitchens why he's sort of so, if you like, defeatist, but doing it in a very polite way while constantly saying how much he admires him and, and so on, and um, which is quite amusing, but also true. And um, uh, didn't, didn't the whole thing yeah. kick off when Hitchens said his advice to young people was to leave the country? because it was finished and they had no future here. Uh, he said that for years, seem, yeah. I'm not sure yeah. that's exactly what he said this time, but he has extensively said that. Um, you know what's funny is that Carl actually really likes Hitchens. Just a few days before this, by chance, we were in the Lotus Eaters office and we were both listening to the Abolition of Britain audiobook and we were laughing about how Hitchens sort of everything is the harbinger of doom and, and decline. So I was I zoned out for a second, listened to the audio and thought he was talking about the internet and how it's all decadent. He was actually talking about television. And then Carl upped it one from that. He goes, no, no, haven't you heard this bit on central heating? So central heating is the collapse. And then I started sort of riffing this thing about the introduction of the chair into the British home was the start of the collapse. Well, few people could resist the siren call of this four-legged creature. And it's, it's sort of like everything is the decline of uh, the chair. You can get your paper. Um, so it's kind of funny to do Hitchens riffs. But yes, there was, the, there was that aspect. And then what happened was the... Hitchens started to recommend that, that Mr. Sardine apologise for his crude remarks in the past, meaning to Jess Phillips. We don't have to repeat them here, but he made an off-colour joke, famously, to Jess. Pretty off-colour. Not something I would do, but the kind of thing I end up defending for some reason. Why am I always defending these people, Toby? Tate, Carl, That's you. You see, people who said terrible things. You see your role in life as defending the indefensible. This happens yeah. to us at the Free Speech Union sometimes, Nick. So someone will come to us and say, I'm being persecuted at work. I'm under investigation. I could lose my job. And all I did was um, was uh, challenge the notion that men and that two men could get married um, uh, in an internal chat room. And you think, well, that does sound a bit unfair. And you kind of take up the cudgels on their behalf and you write a letter to their employer and you threaten legal action. And then you discover they've actually written 
a ton of other much more offensive, possibly illegal things in this internal chat room. And you, you suddenly get caught a bit short. You think, crikey, maybe I shouldn't have rushed in. I think this, is, this could be this could be why it might be sensible for you to unpin that tweet of you uh, standing arm in arm with um, <laughs> Top G. Anyway, yeah, it's not uh, pinned. It's on my Instagram. But yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, come on, Toby, but I defend you. I mean, you've been attacked for things you've said in the past. So where would you be if it wasn't for people like me? But um, to save you, but uh, so it got very intricate. This, this, I think it'll it'll soon become a meme that you know, you know, you're in trouble and you're about to lose everything when Nick (laughs) Tixon rides to your rescue. The big dog says, "I'm putting this person in the same bracket as Andrew Tate, Tommy Robinson, (laughs) Sargon, and Toby Young." (laughs) They'll think, "Oh God, out will come the revolver." Yeah, yeah. Here comes the sex trafficking. Um, Well, on that point. His point to Carl was, you should make an apology. Now, Carl said he'd take his advice, and he's doing this very polite sort of replying and said, I'll listen to your advice. But Carl has never apologized for that. So I thought the good comeback from Carl there would have been, you know, why should I be judged for this thing I've done in the past when you yourself, Mr. Hitchens, were was a revolutionary communist back in your day, and also he burnt a Bible, I believe. So Carl could have said that. Now, Hitchens may have responded and said, well, and he did respond to some other people saying roughly this, that he's recanted many times publicly for that, and it was back in 1975, and so on. And that's a good response. But then Carl might say, this is me imagining how I would have tackled it, how can you res- apologize in good faith to the bad faith radical left who will just show no mercy and destroy you, which is, you know, Jess Phillips, whoever. And he could even say, and you know that better than anyone, Hitchens, because you were one of them back in the day. You know these people can't be trusted. And then perhaps Hitchens could reply, that actually the apology, this is my last point in my hypothetical, the apology is for your own salvation, not because of, not for them. And actually, and I suppose Hitchens being a Christian, you tried to follow the example of Jesus, who famously did throw himself upon the mercy of his enemies, who were very, very brutal, and he even said, forgive them. So I suppose that's the ultimate example. And that's what Carl has never done. He's never apologized. So that's what he's urging him to do. That's the apology strand and my take on that. And then there's the, there's the, whether you should abandon England's strand, but do you want to comment on the apologies thing first? Well, yeah, I, 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 yeah, I, I'm not sure that if Carl apologised to Jess Phillips, um, she'd accept the apology in um, the spirit in which it's offered. Um, but I don't think she's typical of the kind of identitarian left and would just take that as a sign of weakness and go for him. Um she might, she might, she might accept it, um, or she'd probably just ignore it. Um, I, I interviewed her once um, for uh, Spectator Life, and um, at least I think it was me that interviewed her. I, mean, I, think, I, mean, I, think, I think I sent along Julie Birchall to interview her. That's right. It was when I was editing Spectator Life, and we put her on the cover, and um, I build her as the next leader of the Labour Party. And, you know, this was when she first emerged, she was kind of a breath of fresh air. Um, she was kind of much more kind of revelation. Um, and hedonistic than your typical, you know, woman Labour MP. And um, it was someone you could have a laugh with and have a drink with and was quite kind of bawdy and entertaining, Um, kind of more of a wife of Bath character and obviously got on with Julie like a house on fire. And she's become kind of... um, She's become kind of a little, a little more kind of a little, a little more humorless since then. I think she sort of reined herself in a bit, maybe drinks less. But anyway, I think I think he, you know, he'd have more of a chance apologising to her than he would say to 
Yvette Cooper, you know, um, if you'd if you'd said the same thing about her. So I don't think it's a completely hopeless strategy, um, but but probably likely to fail. Um, but I, I find it very difficult to follow um, these debates on Twitter because Peter has this habit of quote tweeting whatever it is he's responding to and then responding above what he's quote tweeted. And then that seems to induce whoever he's in the debate with to respond in kind. So they quote tweet Peter quote tweeting them and respond above that. And so in order to follow the debate, you have to kind of click clicking within the tweets, like kind of literally embarking down a rabbit hole. Um, And it's like a kind of try and sort of disentangle it. It's like kind of unpacking a Russian doll. You can't use kind of, you know, the tweet thread unraveler or whatever it's called um, in order to read the whole thing, or at least not one that I know of. Um, So it becomes very difficult. It's very time consuming. You have to be quite committed to actually follow the exchange but uh, clearly you are i clearly am uh, carl was responding normally but you're right hitchens always does a quote tweet well i had to unravel a whole one for uh, lotus eaters video i did about hitchens and the, and, the, and his debate with michael rosen about grammar schools which hitchens praised and and retweeted so i wonder if he realized that was carl's channel or if he didn't mind because carl wasn't physically on it so i don't know i hope maybe i shouldn't admit that because then maybe i'll fall foul of the, the hitchens but what's really interesting is a, a few things well one is the is this well, there's the actual point about whether England is this country is lost and Britain. We've kind of already had this debate. I've re-released my article and made it free off the back of this. My England is lost forever article. You can check that out on my Substack. Carl very generously retweeted it, so it's getting thousands of views. People really like the piece, although it is very pessimistic. So there's there's a point about that. I mean, maybe we shouldn't reopen that topic because we've already kind of had that debate. But you're probably you're far less pessimistic than both of them. But that was the big crux of the debate. Hitchens kept saying, "Well, what do you expect me to do? It's lost long ago." And Carl seemed to agree, but he said, well, we've got it. We have some responsibility to do something for the next generations to try and save it. Whereas Hitchens point is just simply that's completely futile and that's not his fault. And he, and he was constantly suggesting that Carl knew this and was being disingenuous and was being kind of exalted, uh, which Carl didn't think he was being exalted at all. He just thought he was trying his best. And in terms of who won, if you want to talk about who won, Carl won in terms of likes by far and comments, all the comments were on his side, nearly all the comments I saw. But does Hitchens win morally on the apology point, and just because he's he keeps him, you know, he holds himself to a sort of higher standard of conduct or something than Carl has historically? I don't know. But certainly in terms of the optics, Carl completely won because Hitchens was only offering despair. Yeah, I mean that that r- reminds me a bit not only of my debates with you on this subject, but also my debates with um, James Dellingpole. Um, and I, you know, there is certainly a, a perfectly respectable, long-standing tradition within conservative thought of kind of deep pessimism um, and despair um, about the you know direction uh, in which society has traveled um, particularly in the last 75 years or so uh, but it predates that obviously um, uh, and you know it, it, it's almost it's a it's a form of kind of gloomy romanticism um, uh, and uh, and that you know that that strand is always present in in conservative thought, um, but I don't, I don't, I don't care for it much because um, it always feels like a council of despair, a kind of uh, a throwing up your arms and admitting defeat and just letting the other side, you know, um, uh, win. And I don't think they have won. Uh, I think there are still many important battles to be fought, such as the battle over free speech. And I don't think it's very helpful when people like Peter, although I admire Peter, like you, I'm a big fan and 
love his journalism and love watching him on Question Time. And, and I think it's, you know, he, he's, a, he's a great debater um, uh, and a great kind of standard bearer of that particular conservative tradition. Um, but, uh, but, but it does at the same time um, uh, irritate me a little bit that, um, you know, he, he, his position is there's nothing we can do. You know, the game is lost, um, uh, you know, and anyone who thinks otherwise and, and, and engages, still tries to engage in battle with the kind of dark forces of progressivism is just a deluded kind of naive innocent. Um, uh, you know, it's like, uh, I, 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 I don't think that that's helpful, but then, you know, he wouldn't care about that because he thinks the battle's lost. But if you think the battle isn't lost, it's not very helpful to have someone on your side at the back keep shouting, it's over! Give up, guys! <laughs> Throw down your weapons! They've won! <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. There, there is a certain questionable morality in that. If you were in a battle, yeah, you wouldn't want someone doing that. That would be the wrong thing to do, to use that analogy. So yeah, that's, that is morally questionable. Although I do like this phrase, gloomy, rom- romantic. I think that probably describes me or, or whatever exact phrase you used. And I've also thought of myself as a reactionary satirist, which I also nicked from Hitchens, his description of Saki, the satirist. So, Mm. yeah, I'm sort of more in the Hitchens camp, although, yeah, you can't completely give up hope just by human nature. But I've thought about moving towards a sort of position of enjoying the decline in some sort of hedonistic way, probably not hedonistic way, but some sort of fatalistic way. I haven't quite been able to move to that position yet. I was thinking about 2023 might be the year I just enjoy the decline and sort of revel in it because otherwise you're just so miserable <laughs> all the time so and I can't I can't become like you so my only options are sort of you know enjoy the, the collapse or not rather I'm never gonna be an optimist but um last point about this which I think is quite interesting Jordan Peterson said why don't you two just get along and he you know he quote tweeted them both to say why don't you get along and meet and, and chat you've got far more in common than you think Anyways, Hitchens was like, kind of you, but I think you'll find we don't, you know, very much wanting to distance himself. And I find this fascinating. I mean, one, Mr. Hitchens tends to do that anyway. Perhaps you could argue he he, he did uh, spent one day on Twitter pointing out that Andrew Doyle, uh, Andrew Doyle's creation, Titania McGrath, wasn't funny. And you just think it's quite a strange thing to sort of <laughs> spend a day on. But of course, Doyle's not even on his side ostensibly because he's a big lefty, whereas Carl, I suppose, is ostensibly more on his side although he's called himself a liberal, perhaps would still, he calls himself an Englishman now and sometimes calls himself conservative, but less conservative than Hitchens, who's, who's struggled to describe himself in the past, but he's, he's used paleo-conservative in the past ones. He's used English Gaulist at one point. He used Burkean conservative at another point. He struggles to find an exact label, but he's ostensibly more on Carl's side, but, and Peterson couldn't see why they couldn't get along. Now, there's always been this tradition of gatekeeping on the right, People cited William F. Buckley in the past and said, look, you're sort of gatekeeping us to the right. You're not allowing the paleocons, as they became known. I think Paul Gottfried coined that term because you're you're keeping this more mainstream right. And Shapiro does it all the time. Ben Shapiro, he can't stand anyone to the right of him. So he's gatekeepers, right? And Hitchens seems to be doing a little bit of that. And And I find it interesting that he was prepared to do two podcasts with Owen Jones, who's a sort of doxing communist, Whereas he won't do one with Carl Benjamin, who is, you know, off-collar jokes aside, far closer to him. But Hitchens' point, and I should have said this earlier, about the off-collar joke, as I'm calling it, was that, he, was that when you use things like that, you allow yourself tools that Hitchens would never use, and you course on the debate, and you achieve a pyrrhic victory because you've had to sink so low to get there. But that aside, that gatekeeping thing is interesting, as is the fact that North Americans 
in this case, Jordan Peterson being a Canadian, don't seem to get it, which could be because there's an ocean between us, or it could just be because they're, those are more sort of extreme countries, especially America, where they sort of, for example, Peterson shared a, a post from Tommy Robinson from Getter on Twitter. No one could do that here without being immediately cancelled, but Peterson can do it and they can sort of, they can have interviews with Katie Hopkins and people like this and they don't worry about it. Now, is that just because of the gap or is that because of uh, they're just more extreme or do you have any comment on this, my gatekeeper's theory? Yeah, well, I think there is quite a lot of gatekeeping that goes on in the US too. You know, there were various people who were kind of no platform by the um, National Conservatism Conference, which is an annual conference organised by Yoram Hazoni. Um, and there's going to be one here, actually, um, I think in the first half of this year, possibly next month. Um, but various um, various people who were thought to be beyond the pale, even by, you know, conservative nationalists, um, were excluded from that event. Um, uh, and, you know, there are lots of conservatives, like you know, a good example is probably Amy Wax, um, who, who is felt by many in the conservative movement to be beyond the pale. It's usually if they kind of uh, touch the kind of live wire to do with, you know, whether differences in intelligence between ethnic groups are genetically influenced. That's usually the kind of, that's, that's the kind of, that's, that's a kind of, you're not allowed to go there and remain part of the kind of mainstream conservative movement. Um, and um, so I don't think, I don't think it's, uh, you know, a, 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 a something that, that, that the Americans aren't equally guilty of, uh, but I think there is a, I was, I was quite surprised to learn that, you know, Tommy Robinson has this kind of uh, audience in America um, as well as lots of patrons. I think uh, isn't, it, isn't it rooted in his, um, pro-Israel stance. And, well, he also worked um, for Rebel News. And he worked for Rebel News. So um, I think he does have a lot of uh, patrons and followers in America, and he goes on public speaking tours in America. I mean, I think America is such a big country that, you know, even if you have even if you are not part of the mainstream conservative movement and you have been kind of excluded by gatekeepers, you can still find an audience. Um, I thought you couldn't it's... enter America. I thought you couldn't actually enter America. Oh, is that right? Certainly for a time, yeah. Is he on the watch list or something? He couldn't, he couldn't enter. Although, I, like you say, he had the popularity there. I don't think he actually went on physical tours there because he wasn't allowed in. Okay. Oh, okay. Maybe he hasn't been vaxxed. You have to be vaxxed still to go to America. <laughs> There's that. All right. Well, I think we've done a very long bird watch there. Do you want to... So we don't really need to do anything else, but Andrew Doyle got attacked again, but that happens most days. Did you want to make your point about Glass Onion? I haven't Oh, well, I was just... It. Uh, yeah, Ben Shapiro actually wrote quite a good thread about why The Glass Onion is a terrible film. And um, I thought, well, I won't read it because um, it, he said at the beginning, include spoilers, and I wanted to watch it. And um, I did watch it um, over, you know, the, the, the holiday break. Um, and uh, and then I read Ben Shapiro's thread and I thought, well, he's right on the money here. It is an awful film and it's awful for the reasons he says it's awful. Um, it's awful partly because, you know, um, the plot is, is very poorly constructed. Um, it's one of those, you know, uh, murder mysteries um, in which you kind of spend quite a lot of time trying to puzzle over who the murderer is. Um, uh, and, and you try and put it all together as logically as you can. And you kind of keep faith with the kind of writer director that he's he's not breaking any of the rules and that the the solution 
when it's revealed will be logical and you'll think damn i should have thought of that but actually you know he completely abandons the rules and the solution when it materializes is totally implausible and you know you've you've ruled it out for perfectly respectable reasons and you think how can he allow himself to come up with that that's just ludicrous so that was annoying you feel like you know your your kind of uh, your investment hasn't paid off he's kind of effectively cheated and you took it on faith that he wasn't going to cheat he was going to play by the who done it rules so that's annoying and Shapiro's right on the money about that but also Shapiro said its politics were reprehensible too and what he had in mind was that the central character uh, well the, the villain um, not the central character but the villain um, uh, in in the glass onion is this kind of eccentric vainglorious tech billionaire um uh who turns out to have feet of clay and to be a bit of a moron um uh, and he's outwitted by benoit blanc the kind of world's greatest detective and the writer director uh, clearly thinks that he is like the the benoit blanc character and nothing like the elon musk character as shapiro says actually he's a bit of a moron himself he's much more like the musk character than he is the world's greatest detective um uh because the world's greatest detective could have come up with a better plot than this um but uh yeah it's kind of pretty rude about musk and he clearly is supposed to be based on musk and he's just kind of he's basically an idiot who's kind of lucked into his billions um and as 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 shapiro points out you know um whatever must shortcomings may be he's not an idiot he didn't luck into his billions he he's at some level he's a kind of genius um uh, uh, uh and you know the fact that the writer director of the glass onion doesn't see this is just reflects the fact that he's actually a bit stupid anyway so i didn't like it and i agree with ben shapiro on it and it's vaguely related to birdwatch because the central character is based on elon musk okay well i don't yeah netflix's propaganda I don't trust it. I don't really trust anything that's a Netflix original. I know sometimes they're good, but so I haven't watched it. And it sounds like from your review, I probably shouldn't. No. <laughs> um, so let's do our second advert, which falls to me. So I'll give it a crack. I mean, I'm good at reading autocue on GB News, but I write all of that. So I'm going to try and read this uh, advert. It's a good advert. And uh, it starts like this. Happy New Year. Now it's time to pay your tax and Christmas bills. Oh, for some financial optimism. Meet Dan Gaskin, fellow skeptic, free thinker, father of six, husband of one, and owner of Crest Mortgages. Dan is an ex-Royal Navy warfare officer who's driven warships, both run and sold a small company, and chose to become a mortgage and protection advisor because he genuinely enjoys looking after people. Also, nothing motivates Dan more than bringing you financial good cheer, even in January. For help with your house move, commercial mortgage, equity release, life insurance, or simply to talk through a financial issue that is vexing you in complete confidence, call 0116-502-3000, visit crestmortgages.co.uk, or connect with Dan directly on linkedin.com slash in slash Dan Gaskin, D-A-N-G-A-S-K-I-M. And this is the fast little bit we have to say for compliance. Crest Mortgages is a trading style of a Epiphany Investments Limited, which is an appointed representative of the Open Work Partnership, a trading style of Open Work Limited, which is authorized and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority. We choose to be part of the Open Work Partnership and award-winning network. Your house may be repossessed if you do not keep up with repayments on your mortgage. So definitely make those mortgage payments. And maybe so I'll just, be able to just, use Dan. Go on. Yeah. Well, just, just repeat how people can get in touch with... Yes, that would be a professional thing to do. It's uh, 0116-502-3000 or crestmortgages.co.uk or linkedin.com slash in slash Dan Gaskin. So that's Dan Gaskin. And thanks for that, Dan. And hopefully I read it reasonably. Um, it's quite tricky to have to read it and go into the microphone. There's various things you don't need to know about. It's very technical. But um, I actually i have got viewings on my flat 
So maybe I'll end up using Dan myself. Who knows? He, he did have moving in there, didn't he? House yeah. move. Yeah, interesting. Um, so, yeah, and you can always advertise on the uh, Weekly Skeptic by what they do, Toby. Send the pigeon to your house. How do they do it? Yeah, they, they, can, they can contact us by uh, email at... Um, uh, the daily skeptic at gmail.com. So that's the daily skeptic at gmail.com. Yeah. Our rates are very reasonable. And um, this, this must be one of the fastest growing podcasts in the country. Um, we broke a record with um, our, what, what was the one that was the record breaking one, which has got the most downloads so far. We broke two records. Our, our Musk versus the regime episode has the most so far. And our latest Christmas episode has the most in the first week. Right. So, um, yeah, we, it, 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 get in early before we start putting our prices up to reflect the mass of um, downloads we're getting. Um, uh, it's very reasonable still. And, uh, yeah, if you want to advertise, uh, you want me or Nick to read out uh, an advert for your company, your service, then do get in touch at thedailyskeptic at gmail.com. And you know that Toby will put those rates up. That's just what he's like. <laughs> All right, so now let's do everyone's favorite section. It's Peak Woke. So for this week's Pete Woke Toby, I've got a really good one. We covered this on Headliners. Annoyingly, I threw away the story because it was quite infuriating, really. This person called Bingo Allison, who's the first non-binary vicar of the Church of England. And I have to say, Toby, I didn't have bingo on my bingo card for 2023. I probably should have with the way the Church of England is going. But Bingo36, who defines as genderqueer and uses the pronouns they, them, Experienced an epiphany seven years ago while reading Genesis 1 to 3 in the Old Testament. Extraordinarily, this made them realize somehow that he should be a sort of non-binary person. This was a bit of a shock to his wife and three children. And I'm saying he, the Daily Mail says they throughout because they've totally bought in. I mean, Simon Evans said on the show, well, no, it's just that they can just repeat these things and expose them like libs of TikTok. I just think the Mail is a far left publication. But Bingo went on and talked about that. It's a bit like the Philip Schofield thing. We're all going to say it's brave and amazing, whereas really it's just a family that's been shattered by a selfish person. And it's not it's not very Christian, is it, to, to destroy your family because of your own selfish whims? And one particularly provocative thing Bingo said was, Jesus loves sparkly eyeshadow. Don't remember that in the Bible. And also in a speech to a panel on making churches more inclusive, Bingo said Christianity had historically been guilty of prioritizing the views of Rich, white, straight, cisgender, able-bodied, neurotypical men. Yes, all those rich disciples and all those white men in Nigeria and Egypt and uh, all, <laughs> all these other places. Complete nonsense. But this is the Church of England now. And there was a weird little video with Bingo where he said, that, oh, I'm the first non-binary whatever. I'm. Bi-. Why do they have to say it? I mean, okay, ostensibly it was some sort of trans remembrance nonsense day, but... He sat there and said, I'm bingo, I'm the first, blah, blah. Another vicar wouldn't say that. It's to rub it in your face, Toby. Yeah, um, it should rebrand itself. Um, the Church of England haters, shouldn't it? It's like, unless you, unless you loathe and detest everything the word England stands for, then this church isn't for you anymore. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's the kind of, it's no longer the Tory party at chair at prayer it's like uh it's it's what is it it's the greens at prayer or um the woke movement at prayer it is extraordinary uh which bit of genesis do you think he genesis do you think he's thinking of i, I think is it is it that uh the, the 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 section in which adam creates eve um himself um uh in order to provide himself with a mate and it's the idea that somehow therefore 
men can turn themselves into women. They have kind of that within them because that's how Eve was created. Is it? Is it I may be. I may, I may have got my genesis wrong. Yeah, possibly that's the rationale. I mean, what he says is there's space in God's creation for change and transformation. Just because you're created one way doesn't mean that you can't live another. Pretty woolly. Pretty woolly. I mean, a bit woolly. Yeah, yeah, it's absolute nonsense. I mean, <laughs> this is one reason I'm, I'm not. I'm not giving up on God. I'm not giving up on Jesus. But I'm. I am certainly probably giving up on the church of england and this is why i'm going to live 2023 in a sort of reckless think, yeah, hedonistic I think, I, manner Carry I, on. Think, I think i think the church of england has given up on you i don't think you've That's given true. up on the church of england yes um, that is true uh, so um yeah, my my peak woke is um over the holidays this story appeared in the mail so um imperial college london um issued guidance to its students telling them to understand that they have white privilege and uh, imploring them, entreating them to educate others in their community. And then it added, if you have friends or family who take a different stance on these issues, now is the time to have a hard conversation with them and ask them to rethink their views. Um, So what this advice is essentially telling Imperial College students is to hector their relatives over Christmas, um, which is supposed to be a time when, you know, families get together, certain amount of good cheer alcohols consumed um differences are put aside reconciliations take place no uh according to imperial college this is a golden opportunity to lecture your relatives about their white privilege um and uh which seemed pretty extraordinary and i gave a quote to the mail in which i said uh this bizarre guidance gives the impression that imperial has fallen into the hands of a weird religious sect a left-wing version of the Moonies, and I fear that's exactly what's happened. Any alumni thinking of giving money to Imperial should give it to the Free Speech Union instead. We've become experts on this nutty cult, which is running rampant across Britain's higher education sector, and with the proper funding, we can set up a deprogramming unit. There are thousands of university administrators who have fallen into the hands of this cult, and with our help, they could regain control over their own minds. I see what you've done there, Toby, because we covered that story. I'm sure you covered it. Did we, I think we covered it on here, didn't we? Where the woman had, uh, had, had, had she she had a daughter that went and got woke programmed at an elite college. So then she had to buy a really expensive D programmer, yeah. and it was about three hundred dollars a day or something. So you, you sort of uh, cashed in on that there. You're like, we can do that. Yeah, I think. Well, uh, and you also, sit in a room was... with Toby. He shines lights on you. It says, like, you know, <laughs> what like is a woman? <laughs> Be like that scene in A Clockwork Orange, yeah. This is define a woman. No, no, it's adult human female. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that'll be three hundred pounds, please. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love that. Also, the people, the, rel- the relatives they're hectoring at Christmas are probably paying for their university experience yeah, anyway. Exactly. So that's yeah, 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 yeah. of course they are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely horrific. Um, so the only question is, who wins peak woke this week? I gotta say, I think it's me. Yeah, I think it's you. I think you, you yeah, yeah. I think you, you finally. You, you win Pete Woke. A victory for the big dog. Yeah. So I get Pete Woke and Toby very sadly gets weak poke. <laughs> wah, wah, wah. We need a sting there. I provided one there myself manually. Um, all right. That was everyone's favorite podcast section, Pete Woke. I was going to read out a letter here from Priscilla, who got in touch very kindly. Um and said something, dear Nick, I hope you won't mind me contacting you, but I feel compelled. Many do, Priscilla. I've never listened to the Daily Skeptic podcast before, but my husband and I did today for the first time. We liked it and found it interesting and entertaining. Thank you very much. I liked your moral stance on a couple of things. I am very, very moral. 
However, I was appalled and deeply saddened to hear of your brother's children both have having been given the COVID jabs in spite of the elder one not wanting it. It's not that he didn't want it as such. He just laughed at it. He sort of laughed at it, sort of a bit awkward at it. So kids know when something's bollocks, basically, don't they? I felt he sensed it was. He wasn't like forced to have it like Toby deprogramming someone in a sort of interrogation room. But he, he definitely had a wry sense of like, this is probably silly. Anyway, and then Priscilla goes on, how many children will this, will this have happened to, I wonder? And how many will go on to die as a direct result? Well, that, that's a horrific thought. Yeah, anyway, she goes on to say that you should make an effort to talk to your brother about there being no need for children to be jabbed. And that's where I have to say, although that would be great, unfortunately, it's impossible because she doesn't realize how far gone my brother is. One, they've already had them, so it's too late. And two, my brother would never in a million, gazillion, billion, trillion years listen to me. He's a fully paid up foot soldier of the deep state. He, uh, I've never told him my vaccination status and if I told him at the peak of, you know, peak madness, it would have been genuinely quite a, a dangerous experience. I think he was on these people. Would he have put me in a camp? I found myself asking. He'd have. He certainly <laughs> wanted COVID passport. He'd have certainly been perfectly fine with COVID passports. I'd like to think he'd have had a moment if he realised I hadn't had it, where he's like, okay, save Nick. But he certainly was on these people very fine with any level of authoritarianism. He he wanted us to have a sort of aggressive track and trace like South Korea and things like. That. There were no qualms about this for from for my brother good guy in most ways but you know people went mad on this issue so there's just no chance that he would ever listen to me it would be completely pointless and it would also probably get me banned from the house which would be the one upside because then i wouldn't have to go around at christmas um that was priscilla <laughs> i think well maybe maybe next time your brother um you know um lectures you on um why you and everyone you know should be vaccinated and wear masks every time you leave the house and uh, the rest of it you could perhaps download this brochure from imperial college and lecture him about his white <laughs> privilege he may not be he's probably completely au fait with that already yes he may be aware of that it, it i mean you know he was messaging me at the time like have you got your booster yet not realizing i didn't even have any of the vaccines and never would but he's literally messing about the booster my mom was putting a lot of emotional blackmail pressure on me to get the you know they were full-on trying to make it took extraordinary resolve Toby, to not even not take it. But I've achieved, this crops up for me sometimes. So, you know, people are talking about whether they've had their booster yet and um, and comparing notes. And, and I haven't been vaxxed, so I can't join in that conversation. But I don't usually feel obliged to say, oh, well, I haven't been vaxxed because I know that's going to that's going to, I just don't want to have that conversation. You know, um, it's just a kind of bore. I don't think it's sort of cowardice. Maybe it's a little bit cowardly, um, but it, it's more just kind of not wanting to kind of spend the next 25 minutes having to defend myself. Oh yeah. For me, it's just survival in North London. I, my mum knew, but my brother, I never told my brother. And when someone in the football team went, well, you know, like we've all had our three vaccinations. God knows why he assumed that. I just, I just said nothing because he just, he was just go, he went on with his point, and I was just like, "Fine, just let him." You know, like you say, I think, I think that yeah, they they know so few. Most people know so few people who haven't been vaxxed. I mean, most people in our world, show business, TV, media, um, that, that, that it, everyone's been vaxxed, so they just take it for granted that you've been vaxxed. Um, uh, and they, I think, they would be absolutely shocked, most of them, if we were to just announce um, <laughs> we haven't been. I think it would, yeah. Uh, yeah, it would, Although it would, at definitely, GB News it would definitely require at, a conversation. At GB News, our numbers are a lot higher. I should point out, I only got ill once in the, in the three years. Since 2019, I've only been ill once in June. It was quite bad, but I, I never got ill June 2020, 2021. Feeling a little rough today, and I, I, think, I think I look quite pale, so maybe I'll, there'll be egg on my face uh, if I 
you want to do a couple of reviews, Toby? I know you love it when I read out the reviews. Yeah, what, 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 what you found, you, you've, you've combed the internet for yes. praise. This is a great one. Nick Dixon. This is a great one. New favorite. This is my new favorite podcast. I look forward to it every week. It has the perfect formula of mixing naturally entertaining opinion with serious contemplation. Nick has quickly become one of my favorite commentators. I feel I'm just as naturally pessimistic as him. Toby brings the optimism, and as a team, they are excellent. Well done, lads. And that comes from the wonderful Laura King. So for once, great. Toby... You weren't attacked in that one, so that, that must I be all nice. I was compared unfavorably to you, so that makes a change. <laughs> yeah, so it was a nice one. But just for balance, um, here's one called <laughs> Yin and Yang, Dixon's based realism versus Young's cock-like optimism. <laughs> so, <laughs> I can stop reading these anytime you like. They are quite funny, but, um, you know, is that? An, I mean, he's thrown in cock-like, but optimism is a, a good trait. I think so, yeah. Is there anything else you'd like to add, Toby? Uh, just um, if people want to know what the Free Speech Union has been up to, um, we've published a kind of uh, review of 2022 um, on the homepage of the website, www.freespeechunion.org. And if you like the work we're doing and think it's important um, and you're not a gloomy pessimist like Nick and Peter <laughs> Hitchens, then please join up, um, support our work. It's uh, cheap as chips. Just Prices start at £2.49 a month if you're a student and you pay monthly. So, uh, yeah, or, or a pensioner. So please do join. And you can also go to my Substack, nickdixon.substack.com. And speaking of reviews of the year and so on, you've, I've got a Best Moments of 2022, which is a free article you can, you can read on there. And I've got various other free articles and paid articles if you want to support me. And why wouldn't you? So I think that's everything then. Uh, thanks for listening, everyone. Happy New Year, of course. And happy stay, New Year. Yes, happy New Year. Stay, stay sceptical. And stay sceptical. There it is. <laughs> Very slick ending. Bye.